Hello, and welcome to episode number 68 of the Point of Convergence podcast. As always, I am your host, Exoacadamian. For those who look at the UFO phenomenon as primarily a nuts and bolts enterprise, elements of this enigma that veer into the domains of the spiritual and the paranormal are often seen as superfluous and distracting to the main point of the exercise. From the point of view of traditional nuts and bolts ufologists like this, the central point is that some kind of biologically based alien intelligence is here in our midst, buzzing in and around our skies, and apparently our most supposedly secure airspace for that matter, with impunity. From this perspective, the focus and the fascination lies in the sophisticated nature of the technology on display and in the earthly presence of apparently bipedal alien life forms. Interestingly, and I would suggest tellingly, researchers in a different field, that of hauntology, have a similar tunnel vision focus. For traditional hauntologists, the assumption is often that deceased human beings are responsible for much of the paranormal experiences people report having. And when the dead are not responsible, the aim often turns towards the so-called spirit realm, where angels and demons reside. For someone with only a cursory understanding of the two fields just described, namely ufology and hauntology, the assumption is largely that these are distinct and unrelated fields. The first has to do with extraterrestrials arriving from Zeta Reticuli or some other location, and the second has to do with ancestors who refuse to fade fully into the domain of the afterlife, and with spiritual entities who are meddling in the affairs of human beings, supposedly with the hopes of determining the ultimate destiny of human souls. Again, this is how these matters appear to someone with only a shallow understanding of these two fields, with a correspondingly shallow understanding of the data arising in the literature of these two fields. For those who are intimately familiar with the full breadth of the data, however, the overlap between these two fields is startling. So much so, in fact, that those who are really attempting to look at these matters with objective eyes see that this is all part of some overarching category of inquiry. Why do mysterious balls of light, often referred to as orbs, often show up both in cases ascribed to ufology and hauntology? Why do UFOs and aliens sometimes appear right alongside deceased human beings? These overlapping data points seemingly demand we step back and look at this from a more overarching perspective. Beyond these similarities, another fascinating and, for some, disturbing data point is shared by both ufology and hauntology. Here I speak of the so-called hitchhiker effect, where human beings seem to be followed by entities of various forms after having had encounters of either ghosts and or spirits, or aliens alongside sightings of UFOs. Startlingly, not only do these entities and phenomena follow people who've had such encounters, but they are often reported to spread, almost like a virus of some sort, into the lives of people who simply know the person initially afflicted. In other words, just knowing someone who's had an anomalous encounter, like we just discussed, is enough to trigger a similar experience of the paranormal, even when the matter was never actually discussed at all by either party. And this hitchhiker phenomena can then carry on in the lives of such individuals for months, even years. These overlapping data points, of course, raise profound questions. Who then are these entities appearing in both ufology and hauntology? 
Have we mistook them for the wrong types merely because our categories are based more in folklore and wishful thinking than in reality? And what of us? Who are we? In other words, what are we really composed of that would allow such seemingly energetic life forms and phenomena to attach to us? And ultimately, what do these revelations suggest in terms of an overarching metaphysical understanding of reality itself? These perplexing, astonishing, and mind-bending matters are the focus of this, the 68th episode of the Point of Convergence podcast. To begin this podcast, we should make note that we touched on these kinds of matters before in our two-part episode covering the book Skinwalkers at the Pentagon, an insider's account of the secret government UFO program by James Lekatsky, Calm Kelleher, and George Knapp. Today we're going to touch on these matters again, and we're going to dive into a new article that Calm Kelleher has published titled The Pentagon's Secret UFO Program, The Hitchhiker Effect, and Models of Contagion and he wrote this for Edge Science magazine. Now this covers much of the highlights of the program that he was involved with, and it touches on the hitchhiker effect in some detail, and we will jump off right there. Quoting from this article, in September 2008, the Defense Intelligence Agency initiated a 22 million two-year contract with Bigelow Aerospace Advanced Studies, BASS, to scientifically study UFOs and their effects on humans and so began one of the most controversial programs in the history of the United States government. The program was named Advanced Aerospace Weapon System Applications Program, OSAP, and was kept secret from the public until the New York Times broke the story in December 2017. Cooper, Blumenthal, and Keene, 2017. DIA senior analyst James T. Lekatsky was the primary creator of OSAP. Within five months of the OSAP start date in 2008, a team of 50 PhD and master's level scientists, technicians, engineers, analysts, military intelligence professionals, program managers, and security officers had been recruited, hired, and were being assigned security clearances. During the program's 24 months duration plus a three month no cost extension, Bass delivered over 100 technical reports on different aspects of UFO performance, as well as reports describing medical, psychological, and physiological effects of UFOs and associated phenomena, unquote. So that's key. This was an official program, even though it didn't break into the public until 2017 with the famous New York Times article. But we should note here that not only did they study UFOs, but also the medical, psychological, and physiological effects of UFOs and their associated phenomena. So this is where the paranormal aspect comes in. Again, if this was a more widespread program, was known by more people, likely they would have had a lot of flack and they would not have been able to extend the scope to that degree to include an investigation of paranormal effects that seem to co-arise with UFOs. But they had already known from previous studies with Bigelow's group that this is what tended to happen. And so that was the focus here. And this was why this was such an important study. And we have such rich data to now refer to. Okay, enough of the broad strokes. Let's jump into the hitchhiker effect specifically. And this first arose when they were studying at Skinwalker Ranch. Quoting again from the article, quote, 
One area of investigation initiated by OSAP involved in the infamous Skinwalker Ranch, where multiple UFO sightings had taken place over decades, as well as a plethora of anomalies that included cattle mutilations, sightings of orbs of different colors, discarnate entities, and poltergeist activity. Shortly after the OSAP investigations began, the DIA deployed several military personnel on-site visits to Skinwalker Ranch to corroborate and evaluate earlier reports of anomalous phenomena. Lekatsky himself had experienced a profound anomaly on the ranch in 2007. This experience, in fact, was a significant instigation for the formation of the OSAP Bass Program. All five DIA personnel deployed to the ranch experienced profound anomalies while on the property. And more importantly, all five brought something home with them. The leader of these five military personnel was a naval intelligence officer whom we gave the pseudonym Jonathan Axelrod in our book. This is the book by Lekatsky, Kelleher, and Knapp, Skinwalkers at the Pentagon. Quoting again from the article, Axelrod was an accomplished engineer who would eventually be promoted to the rank of two-star admiral within naval intelligence and who possessed top-secret, sensitive, compartmented information, TSSCI, clearances at the time of his ranch visit in July 2009. Axelrod, accompanied by Jim Costigan and Dave Wilson, encountered an anomaly on the ranch that caused a lot of fear in all three men. But little did they know that this incident was only the beginning of his troubles. Within a month of arriving back home in Virginia, a plethora of paranormal phenomena suddenly erupted in Axelrod's home. For several years following his July 2009 and subsequent trips to the ranch, Axelrod's wife and teenage children were subjected to nightmarish dogmen appearing in their backyard, to blue, red, yellow, and white orbs routinely floating through the home and in the yard, to black shadow people standing over their beds when they awoke, and to a relentless barrage of loud, unexplained footsteps walking up and down the stairs of their house." Unquote. So a couple points to make note of there. Number one, it was the highly ranked military personnel that were sent to the ranch to corroborate earlier investigations and findings who ended up having these encounters, and then all five took something home with them. All five experienced the hitchhiker phenomenon, in other words. Now, right away we should point out here that these are military personnel, and some people who really believe that the reflective nature of the phenomenon is front and center will say that they ended up having negative encounters, frightening encounters, because these people were military personnel, perhaps therefore coming with an aggressive militaristic kind of perspective, and this ended up being reflected back to them in what they ended up encountering. And interestingly, that notion is not just superstitious folklore. This was actually a finding that's noted later in this very article. So getting back to the article, quote, the Axelrod teenagers endured some very scary episodes in their bedrooms. Paul, the younger teenager, claims to have been attacked by blue and red orbs in his bedroom on the night of February 7th, 2011, but they kept quiet about their strange experiences. So imagine Paul's shock when he was approached by one of his high school friends in 2011, who told him that on the previous night, he had looked out his bedroom window and had witnessed a large wolf-like creature standing outside his bedroom looking in at him. A few weeks later, another friend told Paul of seeing strange blue lights flying around his backyard. 
These revelations by the two friends came without prompting from Paul. In other words, they cannot be dismissed as Me Too phenomena. The experiences by Paul's school friends suggest the perception of bizarre creatures and blue orbs was transferable beyond the Axelrod family home and out into the neighborhood. It's unlikely that these events could be explained as a series of improbable coincidences. Likewise, since the Axelrod children were very reticent in discussing these experiences outside their immediate family, the incidents with their school friends cannot be dismissed as pure mimicry." So let's make this point really clear because this is essential. These boys did not talk to their friends about what they were experiencing. They kept it to themselves. And yet these friends came to them and talked about experiences they were having right around the same time. So here Kelleher wonders if perhaps this phenomena is able to extend into the neighborhood, so to speak. I wonder if it's not so much a question of space and moving into the area as it is a kind of psychic connection between these boys and their friends. That's what I would tend to suggest might be the case. And I think there's other evidence that would support that kind of notion. Getting back to the article again, quote, the Axelrod family also suffered health effects with the wife suffering flare-ups of systemic lupus and Raynaud's disease. Both Axelrod teenagers also endured intense flu-like symptoms at different times following anomalies in their home, with the most serious medical symptoms occurring in the younger teenager. And Axelrod and his family were certain that the trigger for this transformation was his first trip to Skinwalker Ranch. Unquote. So before we carry on with the article, let's stop and make note here that there were physiological effects, and this has been noted many, many times. People like Jacques Vallée and Gary Nolan have been studying the physiological effects specifically on the brain for people who have encountered anomalous phenomena. So again, for those who would suggest that perhaps people are just having some sort of vision beamed into their consciousness, into their perceptual apparatus, so to speak, that wouldn't make sense of why physiological changes start happening and that people actually come down with physical illness, as has been noted and as was just noted in this case here. And while we're on this point, I'd also like to point out that another person that brought home the hitchhiker effect, so to speak, from Skinwalker Ranch ended up having a large and apparently anomalous creature fly into their car and actually dent the car. So there we don't just have a consciousness change in the person, and we don't just have physiological effects, but we actually have things showing up in manifest reality, 3D reality that you can see the effects of when you look at, for instance, this dented car. And I bring these matters to your attention because these details are essential when we later reflect on them in putting together some overarching meta-perspective on what reality itself is that would allow these kinds of things to take place. All right, now let's jump back into the article. Quote, This feeling of bringing something home and the subsequent person-to-person -person transmissibility of paranormal phenomena, some of which can last for years, has been named the hitchhiker effect. In an April 2022 interview, Skinwalker Ranch research team member, Dr. Jim Segala, addressed the hitchhiker phenomenon. Quote, over the past five years, it has been our experience that when people interact with the phenomena and do not treat the phenomena with respect, that's when we see a higher rate of the hitchhiker syndrome, unquote. 
So just want to step away for a second there and say that this has been noted multiple times, specifically when people seem to show a disrespect or a lack of consideration that they most often notice this kind of negative impact. That's what I mentioned earlier. This is not just hearsay. This is not just superstition. This seems to be reflected in the data they had gathered. All right, jumping back into the article, quote, Symptoms experienced by people range from acute neurological injuries to chronic blood disease. Those who have told us that they have brought home a souvenir often have some type of illness as well as family members. The data again comes from years of tracking and collecting data from those who have come forward, unquote. Now, in the introduction to today's episode, I mentioned that these kinds of phenomena show up both in cases that are being researched by hauntologists as well as cases that are being researched by ufologists. In other words, regardless of what kind of matter you think it is, we find these overlapping phenomena. And now Kelleher talks about that in a specific book by Darren Ritson. This book, by the way, is called Poltergeist Parallels and Contagion. It's an excellent book. I've read it, and it indeed catalogs a lot of the same kind of phenomena we find in what we thought was the UFO phenomenon. But again, Darren Ritson and his colleagues look into paranormal kinds of encounters. Getting back to the book again, quote, Darren W. Ritson's recent thought-provoking book on poltergeist and contagion depicts evidence for a transmissibility phenomenon that occurred with the infamous South Shields UK poltergeist case of 2006 and aftermath. The book described in great detail the disturbing effects of a poltergeist that infested a home in South Shields, a small village in Northeast England, during 2006 and 2007. Richson and his colleague, co-investigator Michael Hollowell, recounted many anomalous events, the majority of which overlapped with phenomena that has been reported on Skinwalker Ranch, including, quote, windows opening and shutting repeatedly, appearances of anomalous black shapes, sounds of footsteps in the loft, banging and thumping noises in the bedrooms, people being pushed violently from behind, discarnate voices, objects being moved around, unquote. Again, back to the article, quote, Ritson goes on to describe a process whereby the bizarre antics of the poltergeist spread outwards from the home of the principal witnesses and start to affect others around them, extended family members, friends, colleagues, and investigators who chose or accidentally wander into the arena of metaphysical conflict. Like a communicable disease, the poltergeist phenomenon can attach itself to others. Ritson's Words echo the experiences of the OSAP investigators on the Skinwalker Ranch in detail. Through delineating multiple additional cases, Darren Ritson provides further evidence that poltergeist contagion is quite possibly common and underreported, unquote. So again, there we have a case of a paranormal researcher not interested in UFOs who is finding much of this same kind of phenomena, this kind of hitchhiker effect, where it can broadcast and spread into people who know the initial people who encountered certain phenomena. Very, very interesting. Now we're going to jump to a case, one of my favorites, in fact, I know about this case, and I've mentioned it before in a different podcast, so I'm glad that Kelleher brought it up here, because once again, what I want to draw your attention to here is how different kinds of situations, different kinds of events that can promote or provoke this kind of hitchhiker effect. 
So what really is the underlying overlapping theme that allows for this to happen? This specific incident involved Uri Geller. Quoting again from the article, in 1973, when noted illusionist and psychokinetic practitioner Uri Geller was undergoing a series of tests of his psychic abilities at the prestigious Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory, a series of bizarre events began to unfold both in the lab itself and at the homes of the scientists who were conducting the studies. As with Skinwalker Ranch visitors, many of the researchers involved had the highest level of security clearances, including special access program clearances that necessitated polygraph testing as well as frequent personality evaluations, unquote. And by the way, that last point is key because while Kelleher doesn't mention it here, this is how we later learn about what happened to some of these people who were there just to document Uri Geller's work. So they were just scientists not interested in Uri Geller or psi phenomena or anything like that. They were just straight-laced scientists there to conduct studies, make sure everything was above board. And they later ended up having hitchhiker phenomenon effects. And they had to report this as part of their reporting because of their special access program clearances. Okay, jumping back into the article, quote, Author Jim Schnabel, in his Engaging History of American Psychic Spies, recounts the bizarre series of events that unfolded at the lab when scientists began to measure Uri Geller's alleged psychic abilities. Writes Schnabel, Peter Crane and some of the others in the Livermore group quickly found themselves involved in more strangeness than they could handle. In the days and weeks that followed, they began to feel that they were collectively possessed by some kind of tormenting, teasing, hallucination-inducing spirit. They all would be in a laboratory together, setting up some equipment, or one of the fellows and his wife and children would be at home just sitting around when suddenly there in the middle of the room would be a weird, hovering, almost comically stereotypical image of a flying saucer. On the other hand, the flying saucer wasn't the only form the Livermore visions took. There were sometimes animals, fantastic animals from the ecstatic lore of shamans, such as the large raven-like birds that were seen traipsing through the yards of several members of the group. One of them appeared briefly to a physicist named Mike Russo and his terrified wife. The two were lying around one morning when suddenly there was a giant bird staring at them from the foot of their bed. After a few weeks of this, Russo and some of the others began seriously to wonder if they were losing their sanity. Other scientists and their families saw orbs and black shadowy forms in their homes, unquote. So again, fascinating. Just to draw your attention to what was going on here, these were straight-laced scientists who were hired because of their expertise to document what Uri Geller was attempting to do in terms of demonstrating psi capacity. That's it. That was their only connection. But just by the fact that Uri Geller was engaging in psi phenomena using these capacities seemed to open up something that caused this same kind of hitchhiker effect. And then these straight-laced scientists began to experience very strange things, including almost comically, like is mentioned here, a stereotypical flying saucer, even though this had nothing to do with UFOs per se in the first place. And then also things like ecstatic animals from shamanic lore, like raven-like birds, huge birds. Very, very interesting. Again, think back to all of the details we've discussed and ask yourself, what kind of reality would be such that these kind of things could take place? 
Now, when one steps back and asks the question, how is it possible that this phenomena, these kinds of experiences spread from person to person, even when no actual physical contact happens, the question arises, how does this happen? What is the means of this kind of spread? And here Kelleher brings up the issue of an infectious agent model. Quoting again from the article, quote, During 2020 and 2021, everyone in the world became familiar with the jargon of coronavirus infectious disease modeling. After thousands of newspaper, TV, and digital media reports detailed the first COVID-19 index cases in Washington State, Wuhan, California, and New York, the concept of an index case for an infectious disease became familiar to everyone. Just as the Wuhan Institute of Virology or the wet markets in China may have been the source of the COVID-19 outbreak, could Skinwalker Ranch be the source of an infectious agent of some kind? The experiences of Axelrod and others have led me to consider an infectious disease model to try to shed some light on the phenomena, as they bore a striking resemblance to the transmission of an infectious agent between individuals. The symptoms of the infection comprise the eruption of poltergeist and other paranormal events in the immediate environment of the newly infected individual. Utilizing this terminology, Axelrod was the index case who was first infected on Skinwalker Ranch and carried the infectious agent 2,000 miles home to Virginia with him. Within a few days or weeks, the agent had spread from Axelrod to his wife and both his teenage sons, and all three began experiencing a bewildering diversity of anomalies in their home. Within a few more weeks, the infectious agent had spread to the neighborhood and infected two teenage friends probably at school, who lived within a couple of miles of the Axelrod home. It should be noted that the symptoms of infection from Skinwalker Ranch are not respiratory distress or death, as with COVID-19, but rather profoundly altered perceptual environments." Unquote. Now, before we move on to a section where Kelleher outlines possibilities for future research, we should note again that this more recent description of a kind of contagion model still tends to follow a kind of physicalist paradigm that basically this is being physically transmitted when people are in the vicinity of someone who's been infected by this the same way that would happen with a virus like COVID-19. Again, I don't think that's actually the best analogy for what's going on here. And even Kelleher gets to that when he talks about the fundamental nature of consciousness as perhaps being an explanatory mechanism for what we see going on here. But before we get to that, let's first discuss something he talks about in a section called Future Research. Quote, Following the June 25, 2021 announcement by the Office of the Director of National Intelligence that UFOs are real and may constitute an air safety threat and even a national security problem, much public interest has been focused on what a future program investigating both UFO performance and UFO effects on human beings might look like. During such a study, if additional examples of a hitchhiker effect were discovered, several paths for future research could be explored. And now jumping ahead just a little bit in that section, quote, future research could also allow us to test various hypotheses on the mechanism involved in the hitchhiker effect. The common denominator with people who experience the effects of bringing something home is not respiratory distress, hemorrhagic fever, or other symptoms of viral infection. Alterations in a person's perceptual environment appears to be the most common manifestation. 
Symptoms include waking up with black shadow humanoids standing over their beds, various types of poltergeist activity, colored orbs flying through people's bedrooms and homes at night, apparitions of dead children or adults, unexplained loud noises around the house, and much more, unquote. And again, before we move on to the section where he discusses consciousness and the role it may play, let me just point out again that while he talks about the perceptual environment is what's changed for people who suffer from this kind of hitchhiker effect, we shouldn't assume this means that they're just seeing something, like something's being projected over top of actual reality and they're seeing something like hallucinations. No, what we see here is actually people having their reality changed. That's what seems to be actually going on here, that reality itself is somehow changed once you've been infected by this so-called hitchhiker phenomenon. So again, that raises the question, what therefore does that say about reality itself, the very fabric of what is? And he gets to that in a very teasing way in this discussion of consciousness in the very next section. Moving now to that final section of the article titled The Role of Consciousness, quote, Alterations in human perception as a result of being infected suggest that some of the new models of human consciousness proposed by such luminaries as philosopher-computer scientist Bernardo Kastrup, University of California Irvine professor Donald Hoffman, Rice University professor Jeffrey Cripple, microchip inventor Federico Fagan, University of Virginia professor Edward Kelly, and stem cell biologist Robert Lanza may be relevant. The proposal that consciousness is prime and actually undergirds physical reality and is not emergent from neurochemical trafficking in the brain is fundamental to this new viewpoint. One implication of the new perspective on human consciousness is that the brain may act as a filter of consciousness, as proposed by Aldous Huxley. Bernardo Castro emphasizes that psychedelics decrease brain activity while the individual paradoxically undergoes extremely intense perceptual activity. He writes, quote, In all cases, the physiological effect of the psychedelic is to reduce brain activity, particularly in the so-called default mode network, which is correlated with our ego or sense of individual identity. The phenomenological effect, on the other hand, is one of the richest and most intense experiences a human being can possibly have. If one's brain is effectively going to sleep during those experiences, where are the experiences then coming from? Kastrup's question is a good one, and measurable brain alterations, including quiescence, may be one investigative readout for looking at hitchhiker effects on the human brain as part of a future UFO program. Unquote. Now, I'd like to stop for a moment there and highlight what Bernardo Castro is saying there, because I've experienced this personally, and I mentioned this in an episode of Liminal Frames, but I'd like to mention it again here in case that point has not been heard by everyone in the audience here. What Castro is pointing out is that according to the physicalist model, the brain manufactures our consciousness. Everything we experience is an epiphenomenon of brain activity. So therefore, Kastrup asks, if that's the case, then why is it that when we take psychedelics and the metabolic rate of the brain decreases greatly, so it looks like basically nothing's going on neurochemically in the brain, why is it that correspondingly that's exactly when human beings have their most mind-blowing, expansive, rich experiences in consciousness? 
This should not happen according to a physicalist model. Let's make that very, very clear. And the casualties for the physicalist model are mounting over time. This is just one of many data points that are strikes against the physicalist model. So therefore, the question should be posed, this being the case, what model of reality can make sense of these kinds of data points that are coming out of the neuroscience of consciousness, quantum mechanics, the UFO phenomenon, and general paranormality, etc.? To offer what I think is actually the most compelling possibility, I would like to turn to a couple quotes by the man we just discussed, or that was just referenced by Kelleher, and that is Bernardo Kastrup, who's a philosopher and computer scientist from the Netherlands. First off, we should point out that Kastrup began as a hardcore materialist, a physicalist to the nth degree. And for the record, he began his career working on the Large Hadron Collider at CERN. And Kastrup believed that all consciousness really was was an epiphenomenon of the physical brain, and that when his brain died, he assumed he was kaput as well. He would have no awareness beyond that. Since then, he's done remarkable work looking into this, both philosophically and in terms of our understanding of physics and consciousness and whatnot. And he's come to conclude that idealism, this idea that mind stuff is what reality is actually ultimately composed of, is the best, most explanatorily powerful model we can come up with. And I'd like to offer a couple of quotes from Castro as we draw this episode to a close. The first goes as follows, quote, The brain isn't the cause of experience for the same reason that lightning isn't the cause of atmospheric electric discharge, or that flames aren't the cause of combustion. Just as flames are but the image of the process of combustion, the body-brain system is but the image of localized experience in the stream of universal consciousness, unquote. And then one final quote that will harken back to the episode I did on Donald Hoffman's work, quote, Evolution has provided each of us with a dashboard of dials, but we don't have a window to look directly at what is out there. All we have are the dials. The error we make is in mistaking the dials for the external environment itself, unquote. And so the main takeaway here is that if consciousness is actually primary, if consciousness is the fundamental bedrock of reality from which notions like matter and energy arise, then we should not be surprised that people can experience something like the hitchhiker effect and then have their actual physical reality change. Because what it suggests is that these entities, whatever they are, are actually employing their methods at that level of consciousness, at the bedrock level. And this effectively rewrites what we perceive as physical reality, which is an epiphenomenon of consciousness and not the other way around. And on that note, we've come to the close of another edition of the Point of Convergence podcast. If you'd like to support this podcast, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash exoacadamian. But until next time, friends, from deep within the Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina, this is Exoacadamian signing out.